don't seem fair, that, that, that are, are, are um, difficult, how does he have a joy? And it's, a, it's that same principle of knowing what, what is ahead of him, of having an eternal perspective that allows him to be somebody who writes letters like he writes, letters like he writes to the Philippian church where he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice always. How do you say that when you're chained between soldiers? You do that because you know the, the calling that you have. And I want to take some time, and I just want to walk through a little bit of Paul's journey. We've heard it before. Doug, when he introduced Ephesians, kind of walked it through. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want us to give us some context about this journey this morning. Paul, as you know, was Saul. And Saul was this Pharisee who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a smart guy. He knew the law. He understood Scripture. And there was this cult called the Way. And this, 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 this group of people were saying that Jesus is God. Well, Saul knows Jesus isn't God because he knows there's only one God. And so he goes, we're going to get rid of all this stuff because they're, they're talking to the Jews. They're talking to our people. And they're lying to them and convincing them that this false God is really God. And I'm going to get rid of all those people. And he was on a mission to eradicate this way from the earth. In fact, he's on his way to Damascus, and, and this blinding light flashes, knocks him off his high horse. He's laying there, and this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Doug did a lot better, but I don't have that kind of sound effect when I do the Saul thing. But Saul goes, so, so who, who, who are you? you know, I'm not persecuting you. I don't know who you are. He goes, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And then, like so often happens when we're given direction, he tells, he tells them, he says, listen, enter the city, and, and he gives them real specific direction from that, and it shall be told you what you must do. Don't you love that? God, Dave, just go do this, and I'll tell you later what you're supposed to do. Can you just give me a hint? Well, if I gave you a hint, you wouldn't go. So three days without sight, he neither ate nor drank. And then God, and, and you know the story, I mean, God... God comes to Ananias, this poor guy, and says, hey, Ananias, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, God. Do I have a little job for you? No problem. What do you want me to do? Why don't you go talk to Saul? Ha, <laughs> right. <laughs> what else do you want me to do? <laughs> he goes, okay, so I'll, I'll go. But you know this Saul guy, is, he's a bad dude, man. He is a bad dude. I, I, I don't get it. He says, well, he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And then he goes, he's to bear my name to the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Okay, cool. I can give that message. That's no problem. He goes, oh, and one more thing. He says, I want you to tell him that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Nope. I'll, I'll do part A. Can you send somebody else for part B? Remember, Saul is not a nice man. I don't mind giving him good news, but I don't think he takes bad news well. So, so Ananias goes, and he, and he gives the message to Saul, and this begins Saul's journey. How, how would you feel if God calls you? He says, hey, I have a plan for you. And by the way, in that plan, you're just going to suffer. Okay, are you good with that? And he volunteers. I think, I think that's perfect for Doug. I volunteer him. That's a tough way to start, isn't it? 
That's how Saul starts. And if you read through Acts, you get into Acts 10, 11, 12, a bunch of stuff happens. When you get to about Acts 13, Paul and, and Barnabas have been ministering. They have been doing some stuff. And so now they're together and they're ministering. And it says in Acts 13, verse 2, it says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And it says, Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So this is awesome. God had a ministry for Barnabas and Saul. And if you read through chapters um, 20 to 28, through the 13 and into 28, you see Paul in the midst of his ministry, and it's pretty incredible. Paul goes into a city and he preaches. And Paul was a, was just knew the Bible inside and out. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was smart. He now, as he understood who Jesus was, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Boy, I tell you, you can talk about Jesus when you know Jesus personally, right? This isn't a concept I'm talking about. This is the living God. This is, the, this is the guy that I was trying to erase from the face of the earth. He really is God. I know that personally. And so he's going into synagogues and he's talking to the Jews and he's explaining to them through the law how Jesus is the Messiah. He, he's, they're getting it because it's truth. It's not his opinion. He's giving them the truth, which is the richness of what, what we have here. Isn't it? Doug comes and he brings the truth. It's, it, it's easy when you know the truth to respond to the truth. And so people were coming uh, in droves. They were coming to the Lord. Their lives were being changed. Miracles were happening. Unbelievable stuff was happening. People were taking this handkerchief and taking it somewhere else and people were getting healed. Unbelievably good things were happening while Paul was ministering on this journey. But as happens in life so often... Sometimes along with good things come not so good things. And so this ministry's growing, you know. Paul plants his church and the church starts growing and it starts exploding and good things are happening and people are talking about him and all the leaders go, oh, this is messed up. How does this guy get so much popularity? And now he's talking about the stuff that he was supposed to be getting rid of people. I mean, what is going on here? So the, then all of a sudden they start causing trouble and they start kicking him out of town. They start beating him. They start throwing him in jail. And if the Jewish leaders don't do it, the merchants in the city do it because he starts, he starts communicating truth to people and they turn away from their idols. And if they turn away from their idols, they stop buying stuff that are being sold by the merchants. And the merchants get upset because they're losing money. And so they get upset with Paul. And so Paul ends up being beaten, being kicked out of town, going through all kinds of hardships. So in the journey, the journey has a stuff where God called them, and it seems really good. Some things are happening that are great, but every once in a while life, things happen that aren't so good, right? Does that mean that God wasn't a part of that journey? No. It's, it, it's God's plan for Paul's life. In fact, towards the end of his ministry in um, Acts 20, Paul says this, he goes, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Nice. 
So I am bound by the Spirit to go someplace where bonds and afflictions await me. Nice. How does Paul do that? How does Paul go to Jerusalem when everybody that he sees says, Paul, don't go. Don't go. You don't understand. This is bad news, Paul. Don't go. And he goes, I can't not go. I'm going to obey God regardless. Paul understood stuff that sometimes you and I have a hard time getting our arms around. He, he understood that, that eternity is much more powerful than today. And he had what, 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 what was coined, and I love this, this, um, this, this, this phrase. He had what is called defiant joy. See, he had, a, he had a, a perspective that I think Jim Elliott puts it really well. He says, a man is no fool to lose what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. So that's an eternal perspective. See, if I give up stuff that I know I can't keep in order to get stuff that I know I can't lose, that's an eternal perspective. That's what gives you the power to have the, this defiant joy. Because the thing I like about this term is defiant joy really is a, is a joy that says, in spite of my circumstances, I choose to be joyful. In spite of what's going on, I choose to be joyful. If things are going great, I choose to be joyful. If things aren't going so good, I choose to be joyful. How do I make that decision? I make that decision because God's character doesn't change. With my circumstances, they st he stays the same. And here's the thing about defiant joy. Defiant joy doesn't mean you ignore reality. It doesn't mean you pretend it's not happening. It means you look it straight in the face and so I know this is happening and I choose to have joy. Amen? Man, that's what makes a difference. See, it's the ability to fully live in the midst of your circumstances and choose to trust God. That's when life becomes significant. See, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. See, happiness really is determined by what happens, right? Good things happen, I'm happy. Bad things happen, I'm not happy. The, the beauty of joy is joy is an un internal understanding that God is faithful all the time. I could be not happy and be joyful. I could be in the, re in the midst of a circumstance that I don't like, that's not happy, and I can be joyful. Not because of the circumstance, in spite of the circumstance. Because of who my God is. See, that's, that's Paul's attitude. And see, if we could really look at, at Paul's journey, he, he kind of outlines it a little bit in 2 Corinthians. And I want to spend just a few minutes going through Paul's description of his journey. And, and his, it's amazing that he has the ability to write the stuff that he writes, experiencing the stuff that he experienced. But in 2 in Corinthians, we're going to start right around verse 22. If you're trying to get there, it's after the Gospels, after Acts, after Romans. And then you're in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Verse 22 says, are they Hebrews? So am I. He's defending himself. He says, are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as, in, as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, that's a great thing to claim, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews, his friends, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They thought he was dead. They took him outside the city and let him just die there, and he didn't. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A, a night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. You guys want to join him yet? Anybody volunteering? I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's Paul's ministry. That's Paul's ability to understand, to experience what real defiant joy is all about. What a tremendous thing. And then he says stuff like, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain in Philippians. For me, it's much better to go and be with the Lord, but because he has a purpose for me here, I'm going to stay here. And his experience is when he stays here, this is what he gets. It's an amazing truth when you understand what the purpose is for us being here. And we really understand the biblical reality of what God has called us to be as people that allows us to walk through this journey of life with a much different attitude than people who don't know the Lord. And with a lot of people who don't understand what it means to walk with the Lord, even though they know the Lord. You see, there was another person that, that I think had this kind of defiant joy. In, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews kind of lays this out, and I want to spend a little bit of time walking through the same principle with our Savior. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a great thing. For the joy set before him endured the cross. And I want us to, I want us to walk through this a little bit because, again, this, this is critical for us to kind of understand this journey that we're on and what does it mean to really have defiant joy. Because as we, as we look at Jesus' life, Jesus' joy that was set before him wasn't him um, pretending something wasn't going to happen. It wasn't about him ignoring reality. It was about him fully understanding what he was going through, and yet in the midst of all that he was going to go through, purposefully say, in spite of that, I am going to follow my Father's will. So let's turn to um, Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, we're going to pick it up at verse 31. And this is Jesus just before he's being crucified. 
And, 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 you know, Jesus spent a lot of time in this last part of his life explaining to his disciples that he was going to die, that he was going to leave them, that he wasn't going to be with them, that he was going to be crucified. I mean, he was talking to them quite frequently about that. And so this is um, after they, they were done eating. It says, while they were eating, the Last Supper, G Jesus took some bread. Whoops, let's go down to 31. After that, in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Peter, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing. It's a great place to be. You know, and I, I tell you, we've been studying this, you know, in the men's study, and, and we're, we're, we're really looking at, at how did Jesus prepare his disciples for the fact that he was going to be gone. And one of the things as I read through this, and I, I really try to understand it, that I'm becoming more and more convinced of, this is my opinion, so you can take it or leave it. But I, I think the disciples didn't get it. I think this is another indication that they just didn't get it. Um, this is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is like Superman, Captain America, and Batman all rolled up together and better. You know, I mean, I mean if I'm going to have somebody's back, the person's back I'm going to have is Jesus, right? I, I'm going to pull out the sword. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight because I know... That, that Jesus is not going to let anything bad happen to me. It's really not because I'm so brave. It's because Jesus is so good. I mean, think about it. The storm's raging. The boat is sinking. And the, the disciples are freaking out. And, and they go, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to sink. And he goes, shh. And the, the sea just calms down. It's like, wow, that's cool. This guy comes out of these caves, and, and he's just wild. And nobody can control him. He's out of control. He's breaking chains, and he's just destroying people. And Jesus comes up and says, get out of here. And all these demons just fly out into these pigs, and they run down into the sea. Wow, I like that. I mean, that, that's the guy that I want to be behind. Yeah, I don't want to be in front of him, but, but that's the guy I want to be behind, you know? So think about this. Do you think in their wildest imagination that they would think that Jesus is going to go and, and just be whipped till the, the, everything from his neck to his ankles are just shredded? That he was going to be beaten so much that you couldn't even recognize him? That he's going to be nailed up on a cross? You think in their wildest imagination that was that they, what they thought was going to happen? I mean, this is Jesus, man. This is the guy that he, he has power beyond power. They, weren't, they didn't get it. Jesus got it. So then it says in verse 36 that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be grieved and stressed. See, Jesus wasn't ignoring reality. Jesus was walking right in the middle of reality. And then he said to them, he goes, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, you guys. I am so grieved to the point of death. 
remain here and keep watch with me. You guys, just, just stay here and pray with me because i got to do some business. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, and he prayed, and he said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to his disciples, and you know, we read this, and we think, okay, that's a nice prayer. I mean, that took about, what, three seconds? So Jesus was pretty tormented. He said, like, three seconds. That's, that's not what happened, Okay. He comes to his disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, he said, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Now listen, he was tormented and distressed for an hour, coming before his father and saying, Father, if there's anything that you can do, please, please, I, I don't want to do this. Is, is there any other way? Please, Father. I don't want to do this. For an hour, he's praying. And in another uh, gospel, it says that sweat, his sweat was blood that was pouring out because he was so stressed and so tormented by what God was calling him to do. And he comes to his disciples, and they're sleeping. Thanks, guys. And he does it two other times. And the same thing goes, Father, please, please. But... Not my will, but your will be done. I am going to walk in the reality of knowing what you've called me to be, and I'm going to look in the face of what I'm going through, and I'm going to defiantly be joyful because it's the joy that was set before me where I can endure the cross. And here's the deal, you guys. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't being whipped. It wasn't being hung. It was, it was, it was his understanding that he was going to be taking on the the cup of the wrath of God. God is perfect. His nature and his character is perfect. God is perfectly loving and God is perfectly just. And God in his perfect justice has to judge sin. So there's a choice. Either you can take it, I can take it, or Jesus can take it. And Jesus to chose to be the one who took the cup of wrath from the Father that was going to be poured out on him. And Jesus faced the reality of knowing that that cup was going to be poured out on him. He goes, I don't know if I can bear that. I'll take the whippings. I'll take the, the thorns. I'll take the, the nails. Don't make me take the wrath. God, please don't make me take the wrath. But not my will, but your will. And he hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you poured this wrath out on me? In reality, he took that so that we could experience the power of his resurrection. Man, that is good news, you guys. That is what takes Paul on his journey and allows him to be a man that says, God is so good, even if I'm chained in between these two soldiers. That God is, is faithful even when circumstances don't seem like they're going the way that I think they should be going. God is good even in the midst of trials that don't make sense. See, we don't have to pretend that we aren't in pain to have joy. We don't have to pretend that we're not sad. We don't have to pretend that we're not upset. But we can trust him and we can have defiant joy in the knowledge of his character in spite of our circumstances. Man, I tell you, 
That is good news, you guys. See, suffering doesn't have final say. Sorrow doesn't either. Neither does death. See, life has final say. Victory has final say. Paul understood that. See, we don't have to deny them. We don't have to ignore them. We can have joy in spite of them. That's the joy of having a walk with a God who's alive. That's that's the joy of walking this journey, knowing that the price has already been been paid and that he's taking us down a path that is according to his purposes. We don't get it. We don't understand it. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes we love it. Sometimes it's not so good. But God doesn't change based on any of those circumstances, and we can look in those circumstances and know that God is faithful, and we can be defiantly joyful in a situation that saddens us. It's a paradox. But that's how, 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 the, how the, the message of the gospel gets out, is when, when we're in situations that don't make sense, and people watch us and go, oh, why does that person behave that way? Why is that person loving when they shouldn't be loving? Why is that person forgiving when they shouldn't be forgiving? Why does that person have joy when they shouldn't have joy? And we get to talk to them about Jesus and the fact that Jesus makes a difference. And our joy isn't in our circumstances. Our joy is in our God. Because our God is faithful. Because we understand eternity. And eternity is is forever. Today ends tomorrow. One last passage that I just want to read as as we look at Paul and Paul's attitude towards trials and situations. In Romans, Paul talks a little bit more about, um, you know, trials and tribulations. I don't want to paint this picture that life is just supposed to be this miserable thing and we're just supposed to endure it. You know, life, life is great. I love life. And, and I, I love living. And, and people that are going through tough times, I think we need to pray that God delivers them and God heals them and God works in them. But, but I also know that God is smarter than me. And sometimes what's going on has a purpose that's bigger than me. And I have to trust that. Because, you know, it's taken me a while, but, I, you know, I'm beginning to realize God is smarter than I am. Go figure. And Paul started to figure that out too, and he says this in Romans 5. It's the first five verses of that chapter. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. This is just such good stuff. He says, not only this, so this is good. I mean, I like the first three verses. You know, therefore, we've been justified by, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace with, in which we stand. We exalt in the glory of God. Amen. And then he says in verse 3, not only this, I don't know why he had to keep going, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, And hope does not disappoint. Amen? Amen. Hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. 
Hope does not disappoint because things get better. Hope doesn't disappoint because I talk to God and I go, God, can we just do it my way? Because your way isn't working. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. That's not, that's not what happens. Hope doesn't disappoint because we know in our hearts that God is, is, is Lord and his love is poured out on us in all circumstances. So I can look at my circumstances and I go, can go, I choose to be joyful. I will be joyful. I'm not going to be happy, but I'm going to be joyful. Amen? 